If your life was a circus, what would be the main attraction? Oh my gosh, how do you know my life isn't a circus? I mean, I <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, I, I mean, I think that if I were in, a, in an attraction in the circus, I'd be like the lady with tigers and juggling and fire and everything. But I don't think <laughs> yes. that that would be the main attraction. Hmm. I think oh. the main attraction would actually be my husband because he has this amazing skill that is phenomenal. And I don't even know how he does it. He has the ability to do nothing. And so like, <laughs> it would be like this giant billboard that is, you know, Bob, the man who can do nothing. And I, and people would come and, and I think that would be the main attraction because it's like a ninja power. I don't, I don't know how he sits there and has no thoughts, you know, for a small space of time. It, yeah, it's magic. Nice. Nice. <laughs> we both know your husband. And so it's a pretty funny answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does things, but very specifically, he doesn't waste a lot of energy. I no, think. he has a core value of laziness. And I used to think that was a character. <laughs> I was going to go with like, efficiency. He, he says that. He says, it's a, he says it that way. And I was like, we're going to get you into therapy. We're going to find out what's wrong with you. And come to my side of the universe, which is all human doings. There are no human beings in my family. Only human doings. And so he was like, no, you know, he, oh he showed me how it makes him efficient. He's very efficient. He's very effective. Mm -hmm. And then he can power down and he can just sit there and he lives with a lot less anxiety and a lot more peace than I do. So that's why it's like magic to me. Uh, I was going to say, it sounds okay. like a lot of collective okay. intelligence in your duo right there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So fun fact, um, Ben loves the circus. So whenever people say like, oh my gosh, my life is a circus, they mean it in a bad way, but Ben's I'm like, really? always aspiring for life to be a, a circus. So what would your main act be? Uh, so my main act would be the ringmaster who brings people out of the audience into the <laughs> circus. That would be my superpower. So my circus would be wildly interactive. Oh my gosh, that is so true. So, <laughs> I didn't know you were going to say that. That's yeah, I might not come to that. <laughs> <laughs> we He took us to a circuit recently, circus recently and he got us tickets in the very front row. And I said, if they're asking for volunteers, you better go. I'm not going up on that stage. Why would you do this to me? I was super like, oh. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, my answer, I think, would be like a tightrope juggler. So I'm always a little overwhelmed, but I'm having fun and I'm smiling anyway. <laughs> this is a true story. This is a true story. So. <laughs> you can always tell it's become too much when the plates are dropping. Like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> Got to scale something back. Got to say no to something. But I'll say That's no with a smile. you use paper plates. Paper plates, they just don't break when they fall down. It's so true. Ah, ah yes. something to think in there. All right, nice. <laughs> and to our listeners, welcome to the Kimberly and Coach Show, where we bring you actionable practices you can use in your leadership and collaboration today. Um, Coach Kimberly is right next to me today with us is Jesse Cruikshank, who is a nationally recognized expert in both the fields of neuroeducation and, and experiential <laughs> education with a master's in education from Harvard's Mind, Brain, and Education program. Jesse kind of does it all because she's spent more than a decade applying neuroeducation to experiential and adventure education. She's also been uh, a chief operating officer of a, of a uh, engineering firm 
and she is a philosopher neuroecclesiologist. <laughs> Jesse, that sounds really like that sounds really dangerous if you're in church world. Oh, so we have to talk yeah, it about could this be. Word. It could be. I have a lot of friends, but I might have some closet enemies. <laughs> <laughs> and she's an ordained minister in the Foursquare denomination. Jesse, thanks for hanging out with us today. Yeah, man, this is going to be fun. We've already we've already gone to the circus, so yes. <laughs> I can't I can't wait for what's next. Nice. Jesse, you have been on my list of people I'm dying to interview in terms of our podcast because I love the research you've done around how people change and how the brain is wired for change and change and transformation. And we talk a lot, we work with companies who are looking to change their culture or are looking to um, develop their employees into their areas of genius. And so I've been just very excited to someday have you on. So thank you for making my dream come true. Why don't oh you my gosh. tell? <laughs> you need to dream bigger dreams. I love you. No, but... nope. This is the dream today. <laughs> so tell well, us I'm a little bit about here. <laughs> what you currently do. Tell us what okay. world you're in today. So currently, I am serving in church consulting, and that's both organizational consulting and personal development leadership consulting. So it's with a company called the Future Church Company, and. Um, yeah, so I love change at all levels, whether it's personal or team or leadership or organization. So functionally, like I help with organizational psychology and how you set up environments for people to change. Um, that's kind of my passion these days. So yeah, nice. all things nice. change. And then in each one of those, you know, different career paths, I was helping apply and, and helping different aspects of society change. So sometimes it was through the wilderness. Sometimes it was through a corporate turnaround. Sometimes it's through old institutions or new, uh, new entrepreneurial endeavors. So yeah, each one of those has a different challenge, but that's sure. what makes it interesting. Nice. Nice. So Jesse change is the name of the game right now in, in so many different verticals in church, mm -hmm. but we're, because we're talking mostly to business people, you know, right now change is going by many names, innovation, paradigm shift, digital transformation, uh, advancement, blah, 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 insert synonym for change here, right? I mean, it's just, you know, that's all they want to talk about in, at these big corporate uh, virtual events, but now the real life events are coming back. So now we're going to talk about in person, but it's still, <laughs> <laughs> it's still the same thing. Talk mm -hmm. to us about what business leaders need to know about the neurology of change. Yeah. So one very unfortunate fact is that the brain doesn't like change. Mm. <laughs> so <Preach>. we, <laughs> right? if it, if it did, if the brain was interested in like the best future or something mm. is as like truth or, you know, any of those big kinds of ideas. If the brain was actually interested in that, um, it wouldn't be so hard to have paradigm shift or to have your mind changed, right? But you have resistance in your brain to certain avenues of change. <laughs> and so, but there are easier avenues of change. So there are ways that our brain is resistant to change. And then there are ways that our brain partners and leans into change, kind of actually even without your permission. Oh, so okay. let me let me unpack that just for a second. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so the classical idea 
that comes to us out of the enlightenment and everything is this idea that if I have information and then the ability to make a choice, like that's how I change. And so we, we want more information. We want to make sure people have the right information. We're so scared of misinformation (laughs) and we think that that's the pathway to change, but there's, there's no, the answer, the answer on a biological level is that's not the pathway to change because your brain will either ignore most of it, which it does. And then that part that it doesn't ignore that, that 3%, it doesn't ignore. It actually twists and interprets to maintain your worldview. Your brain is, has all these mechanisms to maintain your worldview. And it doesn't want that to be shifted. It doesn't want cognitive dissonance. It doesn't want disruption. It doesn't want deconstruction. And so it will reinterpret or reality kind of doesn't matter to your brain. So it'll reinterpret everything to maintain your worldview. Hmm. So that's the hard path, the way that we won't ever change. The way that you can do change successfully is that we adapt out of a value for relationship. So Mm -hmm. if we have relationship and that's the avenue, that's the purpose and that's the pathway, then change is a lot easier because we have natural mechanisms for that called mirroring, mirror neurons. And that's how we learn Mm -hmm. empathy. And that's how that's the foundation of morality and, and how we be in this world with one another. So if we think then about identity and how we are with one another, that's the pathway to change because we're, it's not done to it, done to us, it's done with us. And so if you go that direction, you can help people change at a, at a neurological level, um, from the inside out. Wow. I love it so much. That was worth the price of vision already. <laughs> right there, right there. But but there's more. Well, I definitely see that in play when people go to a conference and they're like, oh, it's going to change our whole company. And then by the time they come back from the conference, <laughs> they're like, there are a couple of things that resonated with me and they're the things we're already doing. I'm so encouraged. And then, <laughs> you know, like you might like do a couple of things and then they kind of peter out and the company stays the same. Um, and so I, I just see it in play a lot. So let's talk about if you're mentoring a person, you're trying to develop a person in the business world. Um, what do you want in trying to get them to shift a paradigm or to think differently or to act differently in the workplace? What can you do as you're mentoring that person? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. I think the first thing that I would want to do was check my assumptions. Why do I think that they're doing something wrong or what I would have to say and, and why they need to be different? Is that a judgment on my part? Like I gave the example of my husband having this core value of laziness (laughs) and me judging that, but really, I mean, like when I got beyond that and could see him better, I saw the value that that brought And I learned how to leverage that in ways that kind of addressed the concerns or the issues or the questions that I had. So, so rather than doing manipulation, right, which is the dark side, the shadow side of change, um, we, we want people to be able to choose like that choice is important. That agency is Mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. Um, but 
then change then always has to have a, a good why. You you have to lead with why. You the the why has to be something that you can not just explain but also resonates. Um, so in storytelling, that's that's the problem statement, that's the call to adventure and, and everything like that. Um, but then change needs to be something that they're partnering with. And so in that, I want to double check my assumptions. I want to make sure that I have their best interests in mind and that it's the thing that needs to happen first, right? So then there's also the priority to me for change. So am mm. I trying to change something that's just shallow and superficial? Um, maybe it's a, a, a small business process or a form, you know, <laughs> if you're working like, like seriously, forms lead behavior. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, how you design a form is actually quite important. But um, if, if that's what needs to be changed, then that's a different conversation than a deeper way of living and moving and being in the world. So, you know, motivation or diversity and inclusion conversations yeah. or whether or not you work from home and whether or not that's a benefit or not, like, like those are deeper conversations. And so if I'm, I want to have those conversations with a person, I want to put my why on the table and then let them speak into that and have that so that if we're moving forward, if we make the determination together, that change is an important thing that we're moving forward together in that, because we're going to need each other to be different. Um, you, you, we're not good at being different by ourselves. That's why nobody, you know, very few people work out without somebody, you know, some <laughs> level of accountability. So it's the, it's that relationship that's actually going to get you through the hard part of change and change always involves a hard part, which is why people go to conferences and they get inspired and they get sparkly and then they come <laughs> home and nothing's different is because rather than inspiring us, it needs a good event. A good change process takes us through the suck to the other side. Hi, mm. hi, sure, sure. So looking at this from, from a big picture, corporate leaders that are looking to guide their organizations through I mean, there's a lot of crazy changes coming our way in, in all kinds of different facets. Like for financial institutions, they're trying to figure out what to do with crypto. Uh, <laughs> the the small questions. Yeah, yeah, little <laughs> questions about, you know, the whole finances of the world. Um, but then, you know, just different levels of, you know, simple digital transformations and shifts in culture towards, say, like customer centric versus, uh, versus worker centric. You know, processes. There's just a lot of fascinating conversations, but how do leaders at the top and what kind of neurological challenges are they going to face when they're trying to change the culture of their entire shop? Looking at it from, from a top-down level, what kind of challenges are you, can you uh, point us to? Yeah, um, so I have been uh, an executive in almost every organization I've been a part of. So whether that was kind of, you know, small business to extended teams across the globe, um, like I've worked at different sizes of organizations and affected change in different sizes of organizations. And, and what I am about to say is probably going to hurt somebody's heart, but the longer that you're <laughs> in leadership, and the more comfortable you get, the greater the power differential rewires your brain. Mm. So power rewires your brain over time. 
if you cannot be in a room where people roll their eyes at you or push back, like the more um, disconnected emotionally you are from a room of criticism. And I'm not talking about just like being beat down by something, but the more you shield yourself from negative feedback on your character or your processes or anything like that, um, the, the more that mirror neuron aspect unwires. And so you decouple (laughs) in order to put people through pain and not experience it yourself. You end up disassociating your mirror, your mirror neuron network. And that erodes your empathy, which is a protective mechanism. And that unroads your morality. (laughs) And I don't need to point to all the evidence that exists on the fallout of that. So if you're an executive who needs to use mirror neuron relationship to lead people through culture change, the hardest type of change there is, then you have to find the ability to be in the suck with your people and walk with them through it. Don't do it to them, do it with them Mm -hmm. and, and lead from that inside out, um, which is super hard, right? So when I would do leadership development training, I define leadership development as increasing the capacity to hold space. So as a leader, I have to hold space with everybody's pain, everybody's questions, everybody's stuff, everybody's like disagreements and opinions and not, not shame them, not kick them out of the organization, not belittle them, like, like holding space with all of this nastiness and just, you know, ambiguity and, and a lack of clarity. Um, Cause some people will only move if everything's super clear <laughs> um, those people, like most organizations have a good 25 to 50% of people like that. Mm-hmm. So as a leader, your ability to be and hold that space with people will be a ceiling to your leadership and your ability to affect change. So if you can grow in that, which usually involves a lot of personal inner work, then that will help you be the leader people need to make the changes that need to be made. Oh my gosh. That's so Ooh. good. Wow. Okay. That's, that's like a masterclass in that last five minutes. Oh I wish gosh. we had an hour, a follow-up question. Let's say that you are in charge of a big change for an organization and you are listening to this podcast and you notice it's possible you disassociated your mirror neurons that you, you, you have intentional distance in terms of empathy. So if you're self-aware enough to go, oh, wow, that might be me, where would you start? Like, what, what could you do to start to shift that for the good of the company, for the, um, to be able to invite people into change that you can come alongside them with? What would be like some first steps? Yeah, if, I mean, I have some steps that I would go through if I were coaching a spiritual organization. But, but let's say we're, we're not doing that. We're doing um, just a regular organization. I would encourage that leader to find some people that they do have good relationship with. And I'm talking like three or five, because if you're that disassociated, yeah. you're going to need baby steps. Right. So, <laughs> so three or five people think of it, call it a task force, uh, you know, make it a work group. I don't know. Whatever you need. tiger team. <laughs> or and, that. Get and get an outside facilitator because if there's that much power difference, you're not going to get their honesty. So get an outside facilitator and, 
help them have see how far you can get in an honest conversation and then and then as a leader you know go to see your therapist go see your counselor whoever you're you were working with because you're going to have to deal with what they just said and what they did because the worst thing that you can do is to to retaliate right it has to just right. have a space where truth is told mm-hmm. without retaliation or um yeah without just uh, th- you just don't need retribution on the other end of that for sure so so do that and do that cycle. Maybe, man, if, if you're a fire host to your face, you could do it once a week, but it might be better for your soul if you did it <laughs> once a month and give yourself, you know, three to six months to do that process to help build your capacity, to hear the truth, to hear feedback, to process that in a healthy way, um, to, to relearn because you can rewire and find that you can get that mm-hmm. stuff back. It's you're not stuck there forever. It's right. in, it's easy to feel power and it's easy to feel disempowered. And you need to, as a person, you need to find ways to be disempowered and that not wreck your identity or your day yeah. or, you know, whatever it is that you've been protecting with that dynamic. So, so practice baby steps until you get more resilient and then expand the group <laughs> to people who you don't like. Like if you can, if you can be in a truth telling situation with a sibling <laughs> or, or someone who's both close and brutally honest, like mm-hmm. who knows you and mm-hmm. is honest, like, that's like, that's like, you've made it right. Strangers, strangers is, is low key. I'm not talking about, you know, being able to hear the truth or having an honest conversation with a stranger, like the people who know you and don't care to be nice. Like, (laughs) like that is, that is the goalpost of super, super healthy. So yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like we could have like a dozen podcasts just off any of these jumping points yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as, have to have a part two <laughs> or three at some point in time in the future, 10, so. yeah but yeah. as we pull this one into a close um how can people who are listening contact you participate with you and what you're doing yeah so um i have a website called your brain by jess and there is some of my academic research on there. There's leadership stuff. Some of it's faith-based, some of it's not. And, you know, the, the good principles of leadership work, whether it's a faith-based or not faith-based uh, environment. And um, so there's, that's my Twitter handle, Your Brain by Jess is my website and my Instagram. Um, but then I also do produce uh, some other, I have an online class in how to be a mentor, a faith mentor. Um, we call that a disciple maker at whoology.co. So um, you can find that as well. So I, I coach leaders in the faith community um, on a regular basis. So you can find me then also in that capacity at the Future Church Company. Awesome. Awesome. Jesse, thank you so much for hanging out with us. This has been amazing. So fun. So, yeah. <laughs> And to you, our dear listener, thank you for tuning in to the Kimberly Coach Show, where we endorse drinking hot cocoa with marshmallows with your favorite human next to a <laughs> roaring fire in a ski lodge or a mountain cabin of your choice. Wow, like full on holiday for we'll this one. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Cheers.
So we just wrapped our conversation with Jesse and it was awesome. Sometimes I, I hate, <laughs> I hate having a short form podcast because everyone's <laughs> like, no, no, we could just really sit there for a minute. Right. Um, but hopefully you guys have a sense of how cool Jesse's Kung Fu is. Yeah, for sure. For <laughs> sure. So we're just jumping onto this epilogue to kind of bring out the practices of value that came out in our interview with Jesse. And of course there were so many, but one thing that stuck out, we had to like pick a couple to share with you before we pushed play on this or pushed record. And one of them had to do with mentoring leadership development. So when you are working with someone and you're trying to shift the way that they are, for example, interacting with their colleagues, um, which is something we often deal with, or any kind of paradigm, you know, like this is the way that we like to do things here. Um, Oftentimes what we see is that the person who is the mentor is just telling someone you should do it this way. And it's very transactional and it feels like a critique, which it is on some level. Um, (laughs) Well, at that point, it's almost like, like training, you know, it's like, do it this way. You know, it's like, is that mentoring? It's not really leadership development. I mean, it works for a process, like here's our process. But if you're thinking about paradigm, you're thinking about the way we interact with this company, the way that our culture is, or that we want it to be. um, I really liked what Jesse kind of brought to that, which is it needs to be through relationship and through story. And I was thinking about the difference between kind of training and -hmm. apprenticeship. Mm. That it's one thing if you just tell someone what to do, but when you apprentice someone, you bring them into your world so they can see how you're doing it. They can ask you questions. They can give it a shot. And so you're, you're saying, come into my story and see how this works here. And I Mm. think one thread that came through the whole podcast was the power of story in terms of helping people actually change that they need to understand the why they need to understand the story. Whereas like a directive, do it this way, doesn't really do it. We're wired to kind of resist that. Yeah. Specifically me. Especially Ben. (laughs) Especially Ben. Do it this way. Mm. Do we really? Yeah. I've had to learn in our marriage. I can't tell him to do anything. (laughs) Dicey to ask him to do anything. (laughs) So I have to, I have to start with what is our desired reality? Do we both want this reality? <laughs> How would we like to partner in achieving that reality? Mm, or my favorite. <laughs> Let me tell a story about this. Are you open to? Yeah, that that's is the my magic. Favorite, which is good. I mean, you know, because <laughs> sometimes I'm like, nope. That's true. <laughs> Lots of times. So, yeah, I mean, it's all about communication you know, and, lear- <laughs> and learning each other's styles. Because, I mean, yeah. yeah, obviously, you know, the way that, you know, a different couple would communicate would end in disaster for us. But we've had to learn each other's strategies. So, uh, yeah, for sure. I think that the, the power of, of apprenticeship and bringing, bringing people in, I mean, the, the, the level of, of efficacy that apprenticeships have had in, in, in centuries past Mm -hmm. have, you know, we have these massive traditions of, stonework and carpentry and all these things. And some of those apprenticeship 
the, the benefits from those and the value from those apprenticeship programs are fading because they're, they have not been maintained. Right. Because now we do training, like watch this video. Right. And then you'll know how to be right. a carpenter. <laughs> it's like, but then you don't get all of the, you don't get the, the relationship, the, the relationships yeah. and the decades of knowledge. And when Jesse started talking about mirror neurons. Yeah. Let's talk about mirror neurons. Oh, I wish we had a whole podcast oh just gosh. about that. <laughs> I was like, okay. Just, so what do you think the practice know. there is? Okay. What, what are so, you interested in from that? Well, there's lots of things. And so when she was talking about this in these last very turbulent couple of years, mm -hmm. you know, in, in so many, in so many escapes, but especially in like social media, the, the political landscape, I'm just, I'm just reading some of the stuff. I'm like, how do these people get here? You know, I'm like, <laughs> What's even, and I know everybody's yeah. asking these same questions. Yeah. Okay. People ask that question to me all the time and I'm okay with it um, <laughs> because I'm happy to tell them. <laughs> but, let me tell you a story. Yeah, let me tell you the story. Um, and then sometimes like your story is wrong. I'm like, okay, I'm let your mom do what you want. But you know, at the same time, I think. Okay. But mirror neurons. Mirror neurons. <laughs> sorry. Diversion there. Um, this idea that you mirror your, you know, as a, as a mechanism, as almost like a cybernetic mechanism inside of our mm -hmm. heads, mirroring who we're around, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid is the, is the most common phrase I like right, to, right, like to right. use uh, mm -hmm. because the waters that you're swimming in, you don't know that that's the water you're swimming. In. It's the water that you're swimming in, yeah. right? Cause you're just, you're just mm -hmm. taking it in and you're mirroring that community's neurons and not never taking the opportunity to examine is this the water I should be swimming? Is this the water I should be drinking? And do I really like grape Kool-Aid? <laughs> or is this, is there maybe a different story here that, that maybe I should select? Yeah. And that's a whole thing. But I think who you are mirror, who are you mirroring is the biggest thing that popped out at me because now I'm thinking, wait a minute, who am I mirroring? <laughs> you know, I'm like, hmm, now thankfully I've got someone magic sitting next to me that, you know, um, that I, you know, We're I think with this, <laughs> you know, what I thought was really interesting is the idea that as you become more influential in an organization, you become isolated from mm. your people mm -hmm. and that you sometimes do that out of self-protection because you, you are inflicting pain when you're making a change. And so you're, you don't want to feel the empathy so that, that our brain can self-protectively turn off those mirror neurons. I've never heard that before. Yeah. I'm like, whoa. And so I thought that was really interesting. And then the practice that Jesse brought forward, which was find some people who will tell you hard truths and grow your resiliency back up. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then, and do it with a therapist so that you don't retaliate because as you become more powerful, you definitely, it's easy, easier than you think if you're not at this level currently to start to feel like, like, who do you think you are? How dare you say that to me? Mm. And as soon as you say that you're shutting it down, they're not going to be honest anymore or they're not going to be honest in a way that's helpful. Yeah. One of those two things. They'll yeah. be real honest on Glassdoor later. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's exactly but, what I'm thinking on a number of different social platforms. Yeah. So, so I just, I really thought that was a powerful piece Yeah. to say, yeah. like, if you are noticing this, you need to grow your resiliency back up mm -hmm. 
so that you can hear the truths that will make your organization more intelligent, which is so, oh, it was so fantastic. Yeah. I felt like, oh yeah. gosh, there's so many things. Mm-hmm. Last one. Mm-hmm. And Last then, one. Then we gotta, we gotta wrap it up, but leading from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She said, don't do it to them. Do it with them. Mm. Mm. Yes, that, that right there is, you know, the idea that, you know, and that's how so many people feel, you Mm -hmm. know, is that things are being done to them, Mm -hmm. you know, from the upper management and, you know, and especially in really large organizations, it's really easy to feel that way um, because they don't see what's happening in the upper management spaces, you know, so. And then when you pair that with the lack of empathy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. You know, and there's all kinds of these, these mm-hmm. wacky things that are happening and wacky dynamics that when we start, when we start bringing these things into, into focus, we get a really interesting picture yeah. that now, now maybe we can start influencing towards a more beneficial direction, you know, change that vector from anger and, and, and bitterness to Wait, what's what's really happening here? <laughs> yeah, you know what's what's what is the water we're swimming? Who are we mirroring, and how can we step into the sphere of story uh-huh. with the folks that we are leading, and and start to move that mm-hmm. vector into a space that that we are walking through? And I well, I've seen that done mm-hmm. really well, by the way, and I've also seen the opposite. <laughs> like, like I have like three examples in my head. <laughs> three examples. You know, we 12,000 terrible <laughs> examples, um, but anyway. you know, we, we both worked together at a high school in Chicago and there was a huge change happening. And so it was, is really changing a lot about the way teachers did their jobs. Mm. And so to solve that, I just remember, um, people were disgruntled and they, they had a mandatory, like fun lunch, fundatory. Fundatory. That was Olivia's word. <laughs> Thanks, Olivia. And so, um, so the assistant principal asked me afterward, like, do you think that that helped? And I said, you know, I think the thing is that people don't feel listened to. They don't feel heard. They don't feel like they've given input. And he said, well, we, we bought everybody lunch. And I said, that lunch was mandatory. Of course you bought us lunch. We weren't allowed to leave. <laughs> and he said, but last week we gave you a mug. And I was like, are you serious right now? Because I think there isn't necessarily a paradigm. Like, how do you listen to people? How do you be in it with them? And I think in certain um, corporate spaces, it may even be seen as a weakness to have empathy or to do it with them or to take Mm -hmm. input. And so, but then because of that, like Jesse was talking about, your organization can't change in the way that it needs to because everybody's resistant to that change. So any change that's possible is going to be like pushing a boulder up a hill and everybody's going to hate it forever. Or you could take some of these suggestions from Jesse and think about inviting people into a story and really listening and really building your resiliency and hearing the Mm -hmm. truth, making more intelligent change. So I just thought the whole thing was super exciting today. Super cool. So once again, thanks to Jesse for hanging out with us. That was amazing. And thanks to you, my friends. And as always, if you want to come hang out this morning, you can catch us at KimberlyandCoach.com and all the socials. All the socials. All the socials. And with that, be good to each other. Cheers. <laughs>